So this week we go back to Matthew, picking up in chapter 21. Um, if you go to Matthew 21, which I invite everybody to turn there now, even though the slide's not up. Technical difficulties, I tell you. All right, so um, if you look at chapter 21, you're going to see the first 11 verses we talked about here a couple of weeks ago. Uh, they are Jesus' entry into the city of Jerusalem, the, the, the triumphal entry as it's called. And on Palm Sunday, we talked about that. So, that means we're going to jump over those 11 verses, and we're going to start in verse 12 this morning. And um, I'm just going to go ahead and have you all stand up, and we'll read from verse 12 to verse 17, and then uh, we'll deal with the text as we get to it. So, let's read. <clears throat> Matthew 21, starting in verse 12, And Jesus entered the temple... And drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. (coughs) Excuse me. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, They were indignant, and they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. Let's pray. Father, once again, we thank you for your word, and we ask that you would help us to be faithful as we study it this morning. Help us to hear your words and to understand what they mean. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. So, one of the first things we're going to do, while I'm getting my bottle of water that I left in the back row, one of the first things we're going to deal with, as we encounter it, it just makes sense, to get a little bit of controversy out of the way when it comes to this passage. The cleansing of the temple is recorded in all three of the synoptic gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew 21, Mark 11, verses 15 through 18, and Luke chapter 19, verses 45 through 47. If you've been paying attention... As we've been going through Matthew, there's actually been a lot of those passages that are recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. That's not the big deal. If you go to John's Gospel, John records the cleansing of the temple too. Okay, There are a few things, like the feeding of the 5,000, that are found in all four of the Gospels. The problem, the controversy is where John puts it. John records the cleansing of the temple in chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. Virtually exactly the same event, except he places it at the front of the book, towards the beginning of Jesus' ministry, rather than the end of the book, like Matthew, Mark, and Luke. 
So here's the controversy. Are they all talking about the same event? Were there two separate cleansings of the temple? Does John not know how to read a calendar? Well, John's gospel is very loosely organized. It does not include a genealogy like Luke and Matthew do. It does not really talk at all about the birth narrative like Matthew and Luke do. Uh, and it, it really, it doesn't mention, um, pretty certain, it does not mention Jesus' um, time in the wilderness, his temptation, uh, those things that occurred at the front end of Jesus' ministry. But it is loosely organized around the three years that Jesus ministered, with there being a Passover in each one of those years. And we know that right here, just before Jesus' crucifixion, he's in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. There are a lot of people who resolve the conflict between Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John by saying that Jesus cleansed the temple twice, once at the beginning of his ministry, once at the end. That is a possibility. It's extremely unlikely, however, that Luke would not have recorded that this happened twice. In fact, Jesus doesn't spend a lot of time in Jerusalem at the beginning of his ministry. After his baptism and his temptation in the wilderness, he goes very quickly to Galilee. So there's not a lot of time in Jerusalem for that first year of his ministry. So, personally, I I take the other approach um, that John's gospel is not organized chronologically, it is organized topically, and that John records the same event just at the front end of the gospel versus the back end of the gospel, okay? Because the sequence of events is not that important to John. Um, Regardless of whether there was one time or twice, we need to understand why this happened, now, how many of you all, how many of you know why Jesus cleansed the temple? Okay, good. It's only got like one, maybe one and a half tentative. Yeah. All right, so I want to give you some idea of what's going on here. Jesus enters the temple courtyard. I really wanted to find a good picture of Herod's temple, a good map of Herod's temple. That's the temple that Jesus entered into. And he entered the court of the Gentiles. So to, to get a scope of this, right, you have, there's an outside patio outside the court of the Gentiles where they had a synagogue and there were some administrative buildings for the priests and the Levites and the Sanhedrin and, and others. There were some marketplace type stuff. There were some uh, stalls where things were bought and sold. And then you have this grand entryway into the court of the Gentiles. The court of the Gentiles was the place where Gentiles could go in the temple. That was as close as the Gentiles could get to the Holy of Holies. Right? So you have the court of the Gentiles, and then inside the court of the Gentiles is Solomon's portico. Remember back at the beginning of the book of Acts, uh, chapter 5-ish, um, 
Peter and John are going into the temple to worship, and at Solomon's portico they encounter the man who'd been lame from birth. And he cries out for them to give him money, and Peter says, money I don't have, what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And he does. He starts dancing a jig in the temple, which gets Peter and John thrown into jail. So you have the court of the Gentiles, you have Solomon's portico, which is the transition from the court of the Gentiles to the court of the women. The court of the women is where the Jewish children, uh, Jewish boys under the age of 13, Jewish women of all ages, and those Jews who were handicapped or disfigured could go into the court of the women. Okay, they couldn't go any further. That's as close as they could get to the Holy of Holies. And then there was an inner court where the Jewish men who were not priests or Levites could enter. And then you had the holy place where the Jewish priests could enter. And then you had the Holy of Holies where the high priest could go once a year on the Day of Atonement and he better follow all the rules or God was going to strike him dead. So that's the temple. Jesus goes into the court of the Gentiles. That's where the money changers and the merchandisers were allowed to set up. Now, because I am who I am, I started doing a little bit of digging. Okay? Herod's temple was an expansion of the second temple. The first temple was built by Solomon, and it was destroyed when uh, Judah was taken into captivity around 536 B.C. When the Persians came in 70 years later and released Judah from captivity, and King Cyrus said that the Jews could go back and rebuild, they started building the second temple, and that was during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. When they started building the second temple, even when the foundations were laid, it is recorded that the older people who remembered the first temple wept. That's all it tells us. When they saw the new temple, they wept. Now, there's only two ways uh, to, to take that. Either A, they were happy, and it was a happy cry because the temple was being rebuilt and Israel was being restored to their proper place. Unlikely because of all the stuff that they went through to get to the point where they built the temple, right? Because they started building it, and then they quit building it, and they went they built their houses first, and then they built their stores, and then they forgot about the temple, and the priests, Ezra and Nehemiah, had to come back and say, uh, hello, God's house first, right? So the second reason that they might have cried was not happiness, but because this second temple that they were building was... It was nowhere near the splendor of the original temple. That is the way most people understand that weeping. So then you have the second temple from, oh, four, about 450 BC, right before God went silent with his prophetic speaking through the prophets, Malachi being the last one. During that period, 
The Persians were beaten by the Greeks. And then Alexander the Great died. And he had the rise of his general, General Ptolemy, and the Seleucid Empire. And the Ptolemies took over Syria and, and Palestine. And they ruled for a long time. And then the Seleucids came in. And they kind of played political football with uh, Palestine for a couple of years. And then uh, the, the great, the worst possible ruler, Antiochus uh, IV from the Seleucid Empire, was the guy who declared that all Jewish worship was illegal. And he went so far as to set up a statue to Zeus in the temple, in the most holy place, and sacrificed a pig on the altar. It's what is known in Scripture as the abomination of desolation. Okay? Not long after that, we had the Maccabees and the the beginning of the celebration of Hanukkah as the Jews took the temple back over and kicked the Seleucids out. And for a couple hundred years, the Jews ruled perfectly fine until the Romans came in. And when the Romans came in and occupied Palestine... Um, There was, you know, the political landscape was very tense. It was a tense, occupied peace. They had peace at the tip of a Roman sword. As long as you follow all of the rules, we'll let you live your life. But as soon as you start making trouble, you know, the zealots would occasionally try to to get the Romans out and start an insurrection and there'd be a military event to put down that insurrection and and then some extra Jews got rounded up and it was just not a really nice time. Up to Jesus' time, for about a hundred years, the promised land of the Jews had been divvied up between five regional rulers. All of which had the Roman military to back up their authority. Jerusalem was the last remaining location of Jewish faith. In Jerusalem, here at, you know, that the, this is around 33-ish, 30 to 33 AD, when this took place, we have Herod's temple. Herod wanted to ingratiate himself to the Jews, Herod the Great, So he started this building project. This was before he went off the rails and had his children killed and had all the young men in uh, Bethlehem killed because of Jesus' birth. He started this building project to expand the temple to make it greater than Solomon's. It was built roughly the same proportions as Solomon's temple, but grander. The outer courtyard, the court of the Gentiles, was estimated to be between 26 and 35 acres. <laughs> yeah, wrap your head around that for just a minute. Now, if you've ever been to the Jackson County Fairgrounds in Pascagoula, that's 35 acres. And for you Yankees that, that came down here, the Shimon County Fairgrounds is 35 acres according to their website. 35 acres. 
listen to how it was described. I, I went doing some research because I'm, I'm reading this. You know, I've got this picture. When Jesus walks in to the temple courtyard, I've got this picture of like walking into the foyer of the church. Right? 35 acres is a whole lot bigger than the foyer of the church. That's a big area. So I, I, I'm, I'm doing this research Wednesday night. I came home and I'm just, my mind is completely blown. It's leaking out of my ears. Wikipedia, which is taken from primary sources that are trustworthy, says that the court of the Gentiles was primarily a bazaar with vendors selling souvenirs, sacrificial animals, food, and there were currency changers who exchanged the Roman money for Tyrian money because the Jews were not allowed to coin their own money and the Roman currency was an abomination to the Lord, so they couldn't use it for offerings in the temple. There were tour guides that provided tours of the premises. Jewish males had the unique opportunity to get a guided tour inside the temple. And the priests, in their white linen robes and their funny tubular hats, they wore like just tubes. That was their, it was like a stovepipe hat, but white. Um, they were everywhere directing pilgrims and telling them what kind of sacrifices they were responsible to perform under what circumstances. Because if you go through the Old Testament law, right, there was a lot of sacrifices that had to take place. If you were a a woman who had just had a child, there was a certain purification ritual. If you were parents of a child who was just born, there was a certain sacrifice that had to be made. If it was a boy, there was a different sacrifice if it was a girl. There was a different sacrifice if you were dirt poor. And all of these different things. So the priests were kind of like traffic cops directing the people, okay, why are you here? Uh, I'm here to make a peace offering. All right, over there, third row on the left, right? So that's what's going on when Jesus walks into the temple in verse 12. He's literally walking into a fairgrounds. And I'm, I'm, I can't help myself. When I think of this picture, I think of the old county fairground where you've got, you got the funnel cake booth and you got the hot dog booth and you got people selling food over here and you've got people selling souvenirs over here and you got the 4-H booth over there that's got cows and pigs and horses and everything else. Y'all been to a county fair? It may have been decades ago. I understand. That's not as popular a thing to do anymore. But if you've ever walked through a fairground, that's what the temple courtyard, the court of the Gentiles, would have looked like and would have sounded like and would have smelled like. Because as soon as you start associating smell, everybody can figure out what you're talking about. And Jesus walks through the gate. And instead of seeing pilgrims who've come to be obedient to God, to make a sacrifice, or to pay their tithe, or to worship, or to pray, what he sees is the midway at the fairground. Now, do you understand a little better why he drove out people from the court of the Gentiles? 
He drove out those who sold and bought. Well, particularly, who was he driving out that was selling and buying? That would have been the people who were selling animals for sacrifice. That would have been the people who were buying things in trade for coin that could be used to make the offerings, right? Because, I mean, I'm sure Peggy is very happy that none of you bring fresh eggs for your tithe to the church, right? It's just a whole lot easier to do it with currency, right? So there were people who would bring their their flock of chickens to the temple and sell them for money so that they could pay their offering or maybe so that they could buy a goat. These are the people that Jesus drove out. He flipped the tables belonging to the money changers. He flipped the seats of those who were selling pigeons. With all of this racket, with all of the people, with everything else going on, what about the tour guides? What about the priests who were standing there letting all of this go on? Why did Jesus target the people who were buying and selling and the money changers and the people that were selling pigeons? Because all four gospel writers are unanimous. Those are the people that he targeted. About the only thing missing was the Ferris wheel. Let's look first at the money changers. Was the service that they were providing necessary? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the, the Roman currency was unusable in the temple. You could not use it for your offering. Just about any other currency could be used. Roman currency could not. So you had to change out your Roman coin for some other form of currency. This Tyrian currency is what they were using at that time. That's currency from Tyre, right? T-Y-R-E. What's wrong with that? Nothing. So why would Jesus flip the table of the money changers? Right. So they were probably, they were probably using an uneven scale. They were using a scale that was out of balance. Because money, currency back then was real currency. It was not like our currency today. That's nothing more than made up ones and zeros, right? Their currency was real currency. A, a Roman, a, a Roman denarii was based on a set weight of a set metal. Period. That's it. So that means a Tyrian coin, let's say one, one Roman coin is worth ten Tyrian coins. Right? So that means if they put one Roman coin on that scale, then it should take 10 of these Tyrian coins to balance it out. Which is great if your scale is balanced. But they wouldn't use a balanced scale. They would use an uneven scale so that your Roman coin might only be worth 9 Tyrian coins. And of course they would accuse you of bringing in shaved currency. So if you needed 10 Tyrian coins, how many Roman coins would you have to give up? Two. 
they would keep the profit. It's called theft. They weren't just profiting from the exchange of money, but they were stealing from the worshipers. As a side note, there is uh, actually something called out particularly in the Old Testament about using uneven scales. God says don't do it. Right? So, so what about the people that were selling and buying animals? Right? What were they doing wrong? Probably overcharging or... If they were selling animals, they were probably selling blemished animals so that the people who were coming to make a sacrifice were not offering a faultless, flawless sheep, but rather that was probably a sheep that might have been a little bit long in the tooth, a sheep that had a little bit of a bum leg, right? The people selling pigeons... They were targeting the poor because the pigeons were the sacrifice that was to be made by those people who were too poor to afford a sheep or a goat. So I'll sell you a pigeon, but I'll sell it to you at one and a half times the going rate for a pigeon. By the way, if you want a pigeon, you can come to my neighborhood and have as many as you want. I might even pay you to take them. The reason that Jesus did what he did was not because he was personally offended by what was going on. But what he recognized was there were people in the temple courtyard who were taking advantage of and putting stumbling blocks before those who had genuinely come to worship. So Jesus quotes to them as he's chasing them out. He quotes or paraphrases Isaiah 56 and Jeremiah 7. My house shall be called a house of prayer. That's from Isaiah 56, 7. Jeremiah 7, 11, But you make it a den of robbers. God's presence is a place for us to come in prayer and worship. But these people had turned it into a place to profit from the faithful, had turned it into a place to steal from the worshipers. He wasn't angry because they offended him personally. He was angry because they were standing between people and their obedience to God. No wonder he was angry. It's a stark contrast when you keep reading in verse 14 what happened to him after he drove them out of the temple courtyard. We read that the blind and the lame came to him and he healed them. We talked about it this morning in our Sunday school lesson. The mark of the Christian is to be a mark of one who loves people, 
who does for others without concern of what they can do for us. Jesus demonstrates that. Now, that's not to say God is against people profiting from their business. Because what are they, what are the Jews commanded to tithe on? Their increase. Let me put that in modern economic terms. Their profit is what God wants them to tithe on. He's not against profit. But what should be happening in the place of worship is not profit for personal gain, but rather a place for people to come into God's presence. So when Jesus is there, people come into God's presence and He does stuff for them. The blind and the lame, the sick, the oppressed, those who were hurting came to Jesus. Remember, those who were disabled could only go so far as the court of the women. Most of the time, the priests wouldn't let them go that far. So they could go into the court of the Gentiles and then sit outside the door of the court of the women on Solomon's portico, where the lame man was, that Peter reached out and healed. So here's Jesus in the court of the Gentiles. After he's driven out the money changers who are stealing from people, after he's driven out the people who are selling animals for profit, who are taking advantage of people, and now you've got the blind and the lame crying out, Son of David, please restore my sight. Give me the ability to walk. Drive this demon out from my body. Now you would think, since we're at the temple and there's priests and Levites everywhere, remember I said they were walking around in their white linen robes. Could you imagine going to the fairgrounds and seeing people in bright white clothes? (laughs) Not for very long, right? They would have stuck out like candles in the night. You would think that these priests, that these Levites, that these scribes would have been dissatisfied with what was going on before Jesus showed up. But no, in verse 15, we read that the chief priest and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, and they were angry. They were indignant. They were enraged. They were mad at Jesus. The people who held the office of chief priests were descendants of Aaron. The scribes were probably Levites. So they were from the tribe of Levi, but they were experts in the law. They knew God's word, including Isaiah and Jeremiah. And they saw what Jesus did. And they heard the children recognizing who Jesus was. And it made them mad. What was their attitude about the money changers? What was their attitude about the people that were selling animals? 
Were they indignant about that? No. Why? Scripture doesn't tell me this, but knowing humanity the way I do, probably because they were getting the cut. So why were they angry at Jesus? He disrupted their income. And because he didn't stop people from acknowledging him as the son of David. So they accused Jesus. Do you hear this? I love this. Never let it be said that Jesus does not have a snarky response when, when, when it's required. Because they did. They said, do you hear what these people are saying? And Jesus says, yep. <laughs> but then he turns the tables on them and he says, haven't you ever read? Haven't you ever read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? God set it up this way. This is God's plan. How do the children know? Well, because remember what he said about having a childlike faith, right? Imagine you are a young child, boys, all right? Any of you here under the age of 13 would qualify as a young child, okay? All right? Anybody under the age of 13 would fit into that category of, as, as the young child crying out. You see a guy walking through the temple courtyard, stopping to talk to all the people who are blind, who are begging for money. All the people who are lame, and, and trust me, you can tell that their legs don't work right, who are begging for money, and they're crying out to Jesus. And Jesus, he's not just walking through Going like this, you're healed, you're healed, you're healed. He's stopping and he's talking to each of these people and he's letting them know that they're loved and he's letting them know that God cares. And then he's telling them, now get up and walk. And he's telling them, now go look around and see what you can see. And you're a child and you see this guy doing this. That's a guy I want to be hanging around with. Not so much the priests and the scribes. And so, to show you the attitude of God's temple, Jesus shows up and drives out the money changers, and he gets yelled at by the religious people but he gets recognized by the children. So what did he do? He left. He left. In the Old Testament, when Samuel the prophet I could be wrong. One of my kids will correct me on this. Maybe it was Eli. Had the two sons. Had the two sons. Yeah, it was Eli. Eli had the two sons that did not obey 
They didn't do the right stuff. They were wicked. They were evil. And so God punished people of Israel. Right? And when the Ark of the Covenant was captured, they proclaimed that God's presence had left the people of Israel. Right? And I can just see here, Jesus is going through the temple courtyard, flipping tables and driving out money changers and stopping to heal the blind and the lame and the children are crying out and the priests are getting on his case and he says, this is, this is God's work. This is God's plan. Haven't you read the scriptures? Aren't you supposed to be the experts in what God's word says? You know what? And then God's presence left the temple and went to Bethany. He departed. He left. And he went and he stayed in Bethany. And then there's a whole lot more that goes on before we get to Jesus' death in Matthew. (coughs) I've heard a lot of Christians say when people ask the question, what would Jesus do in certain circumstances? I've heard a lot of people say that flipping over tables and chasing people around with a whip is not out of the question because that's what Jesus did. However, there was a particular context in his chasing people out of the temple. It wasn't because of taxation wasn't because of government incompetence. But it's because the people that he chased out were standing in the way of people worshiping God the way they were supposed to. When was the last time you got indignant over that? When was the last time Injustice against the poor, the oppressed, made you angry. Because that's what made Jesus angry.